0: Welcome to Ex Libris On Air, and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book title is Judge Ed, and joining me from the Ohio area is the author, Ted Rose. Welcome, Ted, to the program. Thank you, Jay. Glad to be here. The back of your book talks a little of this and says it's a tale of suspense, action, romance, and adventure. Give my listeners a little bit of a better understanding of uh, why the book got written, what's the story about, and uh, why the title Judge Ed.
1: It was um, actually, I started this as a, um, I I watching some of the shows on television, these judge shows that yes. are uh, showing up a lot on TV now. And uh, a few years ago, I was, you know, I I really don't watch them that much, but I was just kind of intrigued about the number of uh, judge shows that were uh, being uh, televised. And so one day I was just uh, sitting there and I thought, you know, I said, with these judges, um, you really, really don't know much about these judges, you know, what their legal qualifications are, if they have any kind of a... You know, law degree or where they came from and and more and more of these judges just don't know who they are and so forth and i thought well why not why not uh come up with a uh you know wonder what if I could imagine and you know present you know present my fantasy of a judge hmm. but but more on a much on a much more profound and grander scale you know i want I wanted to depict a judge who applies the law properly and consistently. And as a result of a famous murder murder trial over which he presided, uh, was propelled to fame and respect in the judicial system and with the general public. And so I thought, you yeah, know, why not? And so um, I wanted to offer uh, the legal aspects of that. But also I also wanted to present uh, because the judges you see on TV, you really don't know anything about their life. And so I wanted to kind of uh, off, also offer insight into a judge's life outside of the courtroom and uh, emphasize the verse and uh, other active interests that he has in his life.
0: Uh, that's, and, a, um, that's a good actually point. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, I was going to say, you said, how did I come up with Judge Ed? Well, actually, my middle name is Edward. <laughs> And so that's how I came up with Judge Ed. <laughs>
0: Phenomenal. Now your, your background, have you always uh, had a desire to be an author, or uh, was this something that just uh, came recently?
1: No, I never really, when I was growing up and even in my midlife, I really never considered uh, becoming an author. I, I enjoyed uh, writing periodically, we, uh, maybe you know to uh, send a letter to a newspaper. Or maybe, you know, write a a short note to myself or something that was going on in my life. But I really never considered writing a book until, you know, maybe five years ago. And, uh, so that's when I said, what the heck? You know, why not I retired? I'm retired from teaching. And so I thought I had some time. I could, I could just sit down and start doing it. And the thing about writing is I, I, I love to write because it allows me, um, it allows me to, uh, Uh, kind of escape into a different world, Mm. Um, you know, from the everyday life and uh, reality. And it's exciting, I think, to assume that role and very enjoyable. And so I I really thought that was very, very, um, uh, you know, kind of a thing I, I enjoyed so much that I was able to escape what I was the reality of life and go into a different world and, you know, assume
0: that kind of a role. A beautiful goal for sure, and you have 120 pages. Uh, most of the books that deal with suspense, action, and, and uh, romance uh, are pretty broad-based and uh, have a uh, use a broad brush, uh, broad brush, to describe the events in in this. Is this book that's adult only, or how would you describe the book?
1: No, I uh, it's not at all. Actually, the the book is really designed, I think, uh I, I wrote it uh, so everyone could read it. Say like fifteen years old all the way up to a hundred. Mm. And even though it has action and romance, suspension and some humor in it too, I put some humor in it and uh it has emotional tie ins for the reader to introspect and develop a bond with the characters. But but I wanted to do it, Jay, in a in a way that um is probably not normal, but I I, I did not Include any any references to drugs, sex, profanity, politics, or religion. Hmm. I didn't I didn't want to write a book with all those in it, and uh, I, I thought that if I could do that and still make it exciting and interesting, it would attract a, a bigger, broad you know, a bigger spectrum of uh, potential readers that way.
0: Oh, that's that's so wonderful. Because I
1: think I think a lot of, I think a lot of authors use references to you know to sex and profanity and so forth because they think that a lot of people like to read that kind of thing. It makes them more interested. But I don't. I think I think that's kind of a crutch for authors to use.
0: Well, I, so I didn't want
1: to right. do that. I wanted to see if I could do it without doing that.
0: Did, did you do character development before writing the book? I, I mean, as far as an outline, did you did you say, oh, this is my main character, this is the uh, peripheral characters, and give them names? How did that come together? Did you just uh, do a creative start and uh, end up with 120 pages?
1: Yeah, that's basically what I did. I, I really did not establish any kind of a guideline before I started writing it. I just, I just started and then it kind of just flowed. It just kind of, you know, as I got into the story, I just kind of developed these characters just as it went along. Uh, it was not really predetermined. I just wrote what I felt and how it would fit to the storyline and I uh, went with that.
0: Beautiful. And, uh, Some authors take, take years to, to create a, a novel or a book or something to read that uh, the public may embrace. Now, in this book, uh, what would you say the reader is going to take away from this, and how long did it take to complete?
1: It took probably maybe two years total. Um, I, when I write, I'll I, I write. I'll sit down and I'll write uh, a chapter or a couple of chapters, and then I'll stop and then i'll go back and i'll reread what i what i've written and then i think well no that doesn't sound right so i change something or i add something take something out and so it's kind of a a way i write is i don't just write it all at once i kind of change things but um it uh it 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 was um, it was something that i kind of just flowed it just kind of Hmm. came to me and it, it it something that I, I always felt like I, I there were things i wanted to say and but it just happened to, as i was writing it just kind of came out
0: you've mentioned uh, that you also have some so humor I, humor I, in here along with the excitement and and other things there must be a scene or two that after you completed it and uh, looked back over the writing that maybe stood out to you and you think will stand out to the reader what would those be
1: well, I did inject some humor into it uh, periodically, but um I think the the most important thing that the readers are going to get from this that the the judge judge Ed conducted himself behind the bench in a professional manner and he applied the law consistently and did it the right way mm. and um and and th- you know and i think i think the people when when they read the book they're going to enjoy it because they they'll be thinking you know this is the way it should be done hmm. this is the way you know the court cases should be handled and the results are very satisfying
0: uh, is there any of the uh, cases that have a life and death decision making uh, possibility with the judge
1: yes there there's a there's a very prominent case over which he presided and uh and that is kind of sets the, the tone and it also sets the basis for the end result of the story, the final climax of the story, uh, where he um uh sentenced a murderer uh who was a doctor, Doctor mm-hmm. Benjamin Roth mm-hmm. is his name, and he uh sentences the, this doctor for murder to life imprisonment with parole after twenty five years, possible parole parole. And so the judge then, uh, decides that he's gonna extract some revenge on Judge Ed. And so the story kind of filters through that and it ends up at the end of the book, uh, where the judge has to face, uh, life or death facing the, uh, the, the doctor that's, uh, you know, bent on revenge. And so I think, uh, I think the readers are gonna really enjoy that.
0: Beautiful, in in a sentence or two, uh, describe to my readers why they should get a copy of your book. What would be your synopsis or your focus in telling them this book is worth getting?
1: Well, I think I think it's just just the 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 excitement and the drama that they'll they'll be reading. It's kind of it's going to be. Where they will uh, not want to put the book down. Beautiful. They'll want to keep. They want to continue reading to see what happens. Um, It's uh, and and like I said, it it includes humor, and also also Judge Ed in his compound. This all takes takes place basically in the '90s, late '90s, in South Florida, and the Judge Ed has a, a compound down there where he lives, and he also. Uh, constructed uh, uh, his own courthouse. And uh, and so it, it's something where he can work out of his place right there, his compound in South Florida. And so I think it's more of a, uh, you know, people be, kind of bond with the story. Right. And the characters are developed in, in that fashion. And uh, with us, he's got a, an interest, a girl, a woman he met at the local courthouse in the town nearby where he lives and kind of stole his heart. And so the romance with her and then um, also uh, a, a, a fellow named Wilbur, who he met and became very close to. And actually, he had him start working for him uh, as a trusted aide at his compound and so these two these two characters Wilbur and Cheney, the name of the the girl who uh, stole his heart, I think is uh, very exciting and uh, something that uh, people will love to read about.
0: Uh, you've described this as an, an enjoyable and suspenseful ride, of course. And uh, I'm sure there must have been some challenges in writing this. Were there any? No,
1: there wasn't. That's I I, I enjoy I enjoy writing very much. And, um, there, there really wasn't. I, you know, there was no challenges at all. Uh, I, I like to write and it's, it's a thing where what some days, you know, you're just not in the mood. You have to, at least in my personal experiences, you don't have to, you can't sit down and write every day. You have to be in a kind of a certain mood. Some days I, I'll think, well, no, I just don't feel that there's nothing really coming to me. You know, I can't think about these things. So I don't write. But other days I'll say, okay, this is it I see I see it now so I sit down and I write for a few hours you know so it's kind of a uh, phase you know it goes in stages so I, I there was really no challenges whatsoever. I, I never looked at it as a challenge. I looked at it as something that I really enjoyed
0: doing. Well, that's beautiful uh, commendable also. and understanding the fact that there are no naughty bits in your book, if I can uh, describe them that way, unusual for a suspense no. action romance thriller. Uh, is that what makes right. this book different from others in the marketplace? What do you think makes it uh, unique? Yes
1: I think I think that's that's the main reason that makes it unique. is that I, I, and like I said, I think you know people from 15 years old up to 100 will enjoy it because I don't kind of try to pigeonhole, you know, I don't say, okay, I better put this in, you know, because there'd be some people out there that might want to read about sex or drugs or something. And I, and again, I, I, don't think that has to be done. I know mm-hmm. it's done with other authors, but I, I wanted to do this book uh, without that. And so I, I think it's still mm-hmm. a very compelling read and it's something I think everybody will enjoy because of the fact that I didn't reference any of those things.
0: Ted, thank you for joining me and sharing your story. The title of the book, again, is Judge Ed, E.D. Now, Ted, where can my listeners get a copy of your book?
1: Well, it's available um, at Amazon. Um, it's available at Kindle. Uh, it's available at Barnes & Noble. Uh, I have. I have uh, and it's also available at, at Ex Libris, which is the publishing company for my book. Uh, also, I have my own, uh, book website, which is, uh, com. They can go to that, uh, the book website. Uh, it's also, um, on YouTube and, uh, people can access my book video on YouTube by going to Ex Libris, Author Ted Rose, Judge Ed. And they will be able to see my book video uh, on YouTube.
0: Exceptional, exceptional. Well, thank you for sharing your story today. And because you have uh, at least implied that you love to write, is there another book in the near future, sir?
1: Um, Yes, actually, I have. uh, I have written a follow-up book to it, uh, to my first book. I wrote. I've written Judge Ed Two, and one of the one of the um, when I wrote this, I I wanted to write it. In a in a way that and design it so that it would be kind of open ended, right? In that when when everybody when people are done reading the book, then they're gonna they're gonna think, well, now I wonder, you know, I wonder how Judge Ed and Jenny are getting along, mm. and so forth. And so I left it open ended, so I could go ahead and write a sequel to that as a follow up, and Wonderful. continue on with the description of the judge's life and so forth and what was going on with Jenny and Wilbur. And so uh, I, I have written the second book. It hasn't been published yet, but that's something hopefully down the road. Uh, maybe we can do that too.
0: Excellent. Well, coming to a bookstore near you, or you can do a search under the author's name, Ted, R-O-S-E, Rose, and the book title, Judge Head. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and sharing your story. You're welcome. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Congratulations on getting
2: your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at TogiNet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcasts. The subjects our podcast cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching to military resources to business success, even to the paranormal, we have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at Scott at Radio dot com. That's S C O T T at T O G I N E T
3: R A D I O. dot com.
0: Welcome back to Ex Libris. For ex-libris on air, this is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is "Connie Gets More Than Her Backyard." And joining me from New York State is the author, and the author is Patty Whitehead Gill. Welcome to the program, Patty.
4: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, oh, it's a great uh, opportunity to visit with you. You have uh, completed this book of uh, ninety-two pages. It looks, at least from the cover, that it's a book that's designed. Primarily for a younger audience, uh, tell me a little of the background of this book. Uh, what was the uh, what was the reason it got mo- got uh, got printed or, or got uh, produced? What was the motivation behind it, Patty?
4: All right, um, I do have a message to to impart by the book. But what really um started me on the book is um, I once had a best friend named Pam, who passed away when we were both. Uh, around five years old. Mm. One day, as I, w- I was thinking about her, and uh, for some reason, I decided that I needed to write something to commemorate her. So I got up and I started writing, and um, for whatever reason, my story just veer- veered off into the direction of uh, a six year old girl named Connie wanting uh, a backyard. And her experiences of being adopted.
0: Hmm. Interesting Just approach. About it. Yes. Was this from personal experience that you uh, kind of veered off into that direction, or was this something else? I mean, uh, there must have been an audience that you were thinking of trying to reach.
4: Well, I think what it was. I I, I was th- thinking about it the other day, and I said the only conclusion I can come to that. As to why I veered off is because um, Pam, my friend Pam, she, uh, you, she was an immigrant from another Caribbean island. Mm. And in a sense, she had been adopted by our island. And I noticed that, you know, there's something about her when I first met her, she was being picked on mm. by kids, you know, schools. And so I'm thinking, all right. So, um here she is in this new land, adopted land, and she's not getting a very good experience on that. And, and I was just a kid then. So I think maybe the reason why it's weird is that it, it bothered me that I, I'm, I'm comparing her also to somebody who's been adopted in a sense. And so I, that's the only conclusion I can come to as to why you know I went into writing about children of adoption.
0: Yes you you have uh, almost 92 pages uh, there must be uh, an underlying message you've already described one of course that uh, some children are uh, not treated well by other children of their own age for whatever reason uh, what other things do you want the reader to take away from your work
4: well i think the book appeals to, well, the intention was to have the book appeal to children more so of adoption also parents who already have are have considerations of adopting a child actually anyone of any age can benefit from reading my book because the message it brings is one that shows unconditional love Mm. and as in the case with uh, honey and so um I I just wanted to say that a child who happens to be adopted not by one's own biologically shouldn't matter in terms of how you treat that child. It shouldn't matter at all. You know, I think children need to be well nurtured and loved and everything like that. And it doesn't matter. Like I said, blood should not be a factor.
0: Your underlying thought, then, is are a precious gift.
4: They are. And so I don't know, I know of quite a few people who've been uh, adopted. And for whatever reason, I've been observing some things that I think to myself, you know, you could do better on that issue in terms (laughs) of making the child feel loved and so on. Because, you know, I I, I think that although, you know, they're not biologically ours, as I said, these are precious beings that deserve love and nurturing just as much as those who are, in my opinion, biologically ours. Absolutely. So my book is quite indicative of that.
0: Beautiful, the uh, title Connie gets more than her backyard. Now, ninety-two pages is not typical for, I would say, younger uh, preschool children. Uh, what age group did you try to get this story to, or, or do you feel is going to appeal to the most? And the story itself, what is there a highlight of that story that you can share with my audience about that backyard and what how important that is to the storyline?
4: Um, well, um, my book, like I said, I started out writing about my friend Pam, who happened to be five years—excuse me, six years old at the time. And I don't know, I just started writing, and it was intended for children. But it seems to me that although a children of six years old would have to have the book read to him or her, I think it, it is a book that anybody can benefit from an adult as well as a child. And so it's like I it's like a wide range. I think though specifically the the child age would be more between uh, say eight and eleven. Hmm. But it is at at this point it is set up as being a uh, a children's book geared to say children five and up.
0: It has lots of illustrations in it, so it certainly is one that could be read to a younger child, and uh, I think that would be appealing. Just show them the the sketches and show them the artwork, and uh, underscore the the message in the book as well, uh, as you have uh, stated. Children are a precious gift, and this is a way to uh, to share that uh, with a, a listener or with a young child. What? Uh, is there a, a particular scene that you think is uh, important in this book?
4: Oh, I do. I uh, there's several. Um, I especially like all the scenes where Connie interacts with her grandparents, mm-hmm. her beloved parents, and um, especially like where uh, after Connie realizes that she's been um, adopted, she did it already moved. From New York City to the small town in upstate New York called Homer and so her grandparents had a way of calling her every weekend you know and they would have a conversation so uh, she knew that they would call her around 9 o'clock in the morning or something and she was petrified after learning that she had been adopted she was so worried and, and emotionally stressed out that she was petrified to to talk to them that morning that they called but The thing about it is that I don't know if it was, you know, I haven't really decided if I made that intentional or not. Mm -hmm. But her mom, she's a single parent. Her mom was in another room at the time that the grandparents called. So Connie had no choice but to answer the phone. And the way they responded to her, it was so natural and, and familiar that it just like was a cloud that was lifted off her shoulders, you know. And so she's had uh, various interactions with them that are really touching. And um, but then there there are others uh, other scenes that I really do like. And one of them is the comical scene of the two kids being in the in the kitchen of um some next door neighbors called the Mackenzies, and it's the way that they interacted with the puppies and and, and it, it, it's very it's very touching and um you know at one point you know connie was holding back the dogs while pam in the character in the book is pam
3: actually. yes there
4: too and connie is holding back the puppies while pam um, actually tries to put the um, dog food in the dish and in its haste to get at the food the one of little puppies just ran over there and knocked everything all over the <laughs> place and you know the way it's described in the book you know I that is one of my favorite sections also and then um there's also another scene where after Connie was given the dog, she she looked upon it as being its mother and she had this parallel between herself and the puppies that were abandoned. Mm. And this is one of the puppies, the abandoned puppies that she was given. And she, um, she has this motherly thing about the puppy. And so one day while she was out in her big backyard, the puppy just ran off and disappeared. And Connie, in her fear, she, 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 was, she became petrified. And now, there's area, there were areas in the backyard because it was so big that her, Connie was not allowed to go in those areas far back because the grass had been grown or overgrown and stuff like that. So that's exactly where the puppy ran. <coughs> and it was also right next door, close to that, that the puppies were found in the Mackenzie's yard. And Connie she because she has this parallel between herself being adopted and these puppies without having a mother, she in her little childlike mind, she is thinking that maybe one day the the puppy's mom would come back for them. And, be, and, and and the puppy just took off and ran in that direction and she's so scared. She's scared to go over there all by herself. But after a while she didn't see the puppy return she was ready to face down her fears of going over there. Uh, but luckily for her, the puppy came smiling back to her. So, well, beautiful. you know, that's one of the characters that on the air just that I like. And another one is um, when Connie suffers an emotional meltdown, it's the way that her mom handled it that I think is pivotal to the book,
3: also. It's v- a very, th- very thoughtful approach, then. I want to, to, to hide.
0: Yes. You've used yes. a very thoughtful approach because of uh, sensitivity towards the children and also to the storyline, for sure. This takes place in the uh, 1980s, uh, so it's, uh, you know, a couple of decades past. 1980s. 1980.
4: 1980. Well, I was just saying in the late 1980s, because I have it where Connie was born in 1980, and uh, as she was, you know, she was six going on. Seven that year, yes. so it would be
3: around nine,
0: nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Are there any challenges that you had to overcome to get this published and to get completed?
4: In terms of finding someone to publish. Well, just
0: or, just uh, what was I the most challenging part of writing the book? Uh, authors sometimes have trouble with storylines. Oh, yes, of writing itself.
3: Yeah.
4: Right. I see. The most challenging part, I would say, was when Connie learns that she was adopted. I didn't want to just, you know, I wanted to be very careful while I was writing that. I didn't want to have things in there that, you know, I wanted to draw the audience so that they could get a feel for the way Connie was feeling, the emotional uh, upheaval that she was experiencing. And so I'm hoping that that's the readers that, you know, that's what the readers were able to get the depth of connie's emotional distress okay and um, another part that the, there's also a, that was the only challenge i can think of yes but otherwise everything was you know ran smoothly
0: and and fun was it fun a fun experience for you are you at the point where you have another story you oh, might yes. want to share oh good good
3: yes, yes. Yes, it was it was a
4: lot of fun. I really thoroughly enjoyed it, and the most fun, like I said, always involved the scenes with the puppies. I thought they were hilarious. You know, uh-huh. I mean, they used to act so human-like. You know, like, I, like for example, I, I I put some statements in there where uh, one of the puppies would be smiling at Connie. You know, and, and I just attributed them to being human in 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 itself. You know, and so I love those scenes. Along with the ones with the
3: grandparents.
0: It's it's beautifully done. Again, it's uh, about 92 pages. The illustrations are wonderful, and the storyline certainly is one that will touch a lot of people and uh, will be of benefit to small children who may have questions about their their lineage, their heritage, uh, stories of that type. The uh, title, again, is Connie Gets More than her backyard, my guest author, Patty, with an I, Whitehead Gill. Patty, my listeners need to get a copy of this. How do they do that?
4: A copy of my book? Yes. Um, They can either contact exlibris.com, and it's also being sold on amazon.com and um, Barnes and Noble.
0: Fabulous, and uh, the way it sounds, you've enjoyed this process sufficiently that there may be a, a follow-up book to this in the near future. And if so, I hope I get an opportunity to visit with you about that as well.
4: Right, I, I, and as a matter of fact, there is. I'm working on something of
0: what, that nature. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Patty, and that's P A T T I for those of you who are doing an online search, and Whitehead Gill. That will also find this book and anything else that's published in the future. Patty, thank you for joining me today and sharing your story.
3: Thank you for having me. My pleasure. pleasure.
0: My pleasure for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible a show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show
2: comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a
0: never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas, Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com. Back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title, Eternal Vigilance, Guarding Against the Predatory State. And my author joins me from Washington in the United States of America. Former engineer and currently an author, Ralph L. Bayer. Thank you sir for joining me today.
2: Well thank you thank you Jay and thank you for arranging the interview and giving me a chance to present my book.
0: Your book is uh, of course uh, you know a lot of detail in it and it does deal with a complex subject. One of the things that I noticed in there you talk about predatory government or predatory things that are happening in the governance of uh, not only this nation but others. You have called them kleptocracies, if I can use that phrase. Share with my listeners a little of your book and how this got to be written.
2: Okay, um, I started uh, writing the book when I became so uh, concerned about the obvious uh, dysfunctional behavior of our body politic uh i was bewildered because the fiscal irresponsibility was so clear the solutions so seemingly manifest yet we were not addressing them um if you just take a look at the numbers uh they assault the mind our national debt is comparable uh to the whole gdp of a year of 20 some odd trillion dollars we have annual deficits in the trillions and we have unfunded entitlements that are multiples of that, I would say that a likely scenario is that these national obligations simply can't be honored in the future, uh, unless with uh, greatly inflated dollars. So in any event, uh, I felt uh, that uh, I needed to dig into what was going on, take a look at some history, what other countries were doing, to see if there's some deeper phenomenon at work, maybe some first principles of human nature to determine what they were.
0: Have you always had an interest in the details of government? I know because of your engineering background, most in- engineers that I speak with are are detailed people. Uh, obviously, from your book of 342 pages, you fall into that at least initial category of having a passion for for the um the weeds if uh, if you get down in the weeds and and, and uh, look at stuff, uh, you have a passion for analyzing and uh, coming up with solutions is that a good way to describe your style
2: yeah i don't think I would link it so much to my engineering background. I worked for hmm. seven years with McKinsey and Company, which is an international management consulting firm and most of that time i spent working on government contracts here in washington and i think that led more to these broader interests than my engineering background
0: in looking at the united states from your perspective and having worked at least uh, peripherally in government and dealing with those types of issues Kleptocracy, uh, I'm sorry, I'm having a having a, a, a slight tongue twister well, here, a kleptocracy. Well,
2: well, 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 uh, you can skip uh, the, the kleptocracy. That was actually a very small point of mm. the book in one chapter. I was trying to describe the larger phenomenon of, of what I view as predation and government. And kleptocracies are a fairly small in number set of countries around the world right now led by... Some autocrats uh, or some oligopoly that milk the economy, but that's not the broader picture that I'm looking for.
0: Very good. Uh, and, it,
2: and so let, let me back up for a second sure on that, if I could. That I'm I take a, a broad definition uh, of what I think a predatory state is, uh, and it, I define it as where a state has a monopoly of coercive force in government, meaning the only one that can use uh, force. And it uses it to extract wealth from all or part of the citizenry for the benefit of a ruling elite over some special interests or factions in government. Um, So that's the broad definition I would use. And in discussing it, I start out with a couple of things. Uh, There's an economist by the name of Deepak Lal, and uh, to quote from him, uh, a universal feature of politics anywhere is the ubiquitous predatoryness of the state, and that occurs because of the monopoly, of course, of power, and because there are always self-interested parties trying to extract revenue from the people. Now, that's... Not actually uh, a new observation, even though it's in modern terms. As I began to dig into uh, these questions, you could go all the way back to Aristotle uh, two and a half millennia ago. And Aristotle observed that all forms of government, uh, whether they're tyrannies, oligopolies, or pure democracies, have what he called perverse deviations Mm. that inevitably play out over time. And in the case of democracies, which are most germane to the United States in our own experience, it is the rule of the crowd for the benefit of the dominant majority and the detriment of society as a whole uh, that uh, constitutes predation and should be the focus of our concern. Uh, More recently, if you take a look at uh, our constitution, uh, and read Madison, particularly as he wrote in the Federalist Papers. He also was very concerned about this phenomenon of self-serving factions within representative governments, and that led to his view of things like checks and balances and a carefully balanced federal republic form of government.
0: Uh, um, so, Mr. 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 Barrett, this is a uh, a very um complex issue that you are dealing with, and, and it's covered in 342 pages. Did it take a long time to assemble all of this and get it into a form that you were comfortable with in sharing with the public?
2: I'm very sheepish to say it took me a long time. I, yeah. I've been working on the book for about six or seven years. It's um, well, not too bad. Now, I had, the fir- I had the first draft done in probably two-plus years in terms of getting the argument down in the main sources of information. But this book uh, essentially represents four drafts, and each one took a year or two, Uh, each time more polished, I hope, and uh, clearer for the reader.
0: That's beautiful. I've had some authors that have taken a lifetime, maybe 18, 20 years to complete either a novel or an idea or a concept and get it published. So I don't think six years is that that much of a, a, a time frame considering the subject material for sure. Now, you've got uh, f- a footnotes and, and other documentation in your read as well. When you began to complete this, and uh, I guess even when you started it, wh- who was the audience you were wanting to reach? What, what are you hoping to Achieve with it.
2: Well, obviously, I'm hoping to inform an audience uh, that there uh, are problems that I think are solvable if uh, more people in the electorate understood the nature of the problems, particularly if they understood uh, what has been done in other countries uh, to deal with very similar circumstances. After all, we're dealing here with human nature, universal problems. Uh, and uh, they've been addressed in in various ways around uh, the world, and I think we can draw on that going forward.
0: Have you always had a passion for history?
2: Well, I have. Uh, This actually is my third book. Uh, Mm. My my first book had the title uh, Free People, Free Markets, Their Evolutionary Origins, and if you focus on the word evolutionary, I take a look at, at 2,000 years of history to show how we arrived at the basic values that underline our modern societies. So that first got me into history. Uh, But here I narrow uh, my attention, obviously, to the problems that I think are most facing the country right now.
0: A lot of governments or or governance uh, is the correct phrase, I believe, uh, deals with good intentions, and there seems to be a lot of that in the United States Senate and some of the laws that have been passed. What is your observation of that?
2: Well, I I think that is uh, a universal thing, that uh, politicians and representatives always couch their actions in terms of good intentions, and that's obviously what captures uh, votes in the long run, Um, and I guess I'm I'm for good intentions as much as anybody else. The question is, how do you address those? How do you achieve them? And I argue strongly in my book, it's not just the good intention, but you need a strong empirical basis of what works and what doesn't work before you set out to achieve them.
0: That's absolutely a great, great viewpoint, for sure. You also, in Chapter 6, talk about cautionary examples of representative government. Is that dealing with uh, primarily our government that we are familiar with, or is it uh, a universal uh, uh, content?
2: That chapter is designed to be universal. The earlier chapters get into more specifics about where I think we went wrong. Uh, But in that chapter, I show how there are numerous countries around the world that set down the exact same path. Uh, It's something uh, that, as I mentioned before, from Aristotle, is endemic to democracies. Uh, And I show how each one of about uh, six or eight countries uh, tried the same thing in terms of good intentions and ran into problems as a result. Uh the interesting thing is, if you go to the Chapter 7, a number of those countries, I think roughly four of them, saw the error of their ways when they hit uh, fiscal brick walls and figured out ways to reform that were very uh, effective. And I'm hoping that we uh, can learn from their experience.
0: Is that your, your primary hope for this book and, uh, obviously, your passion for correcting... Per- perhaps what you feel is a misdirection of uh, choices by government.
2: Absolutely. Um, To a certain extent, uh, I argue that our experience has been a little tragic in that I just think our U.S. Constitution, as originally ratified, was an awesome document. Mm. It built on uh, a century of experience in in the world, to build in protections against the kind of behavior we've seen, uh, and that basically over the last uh, 100 years or so, we've undermined many of those protections, which have led to the problems that we have today. To a certain extent, I argue that what we need to do is to go back uh, to uh, our original constitutional principles, and in doing so, we can be informed by experience of others uh, around the world.
0: Has anyone in the uh, education arena read your book and felt it might fit nicely into a curricula of some type?
2: Well, I certainly hope that that occurs. Uh, the only example I have so far, if you look at the back cover, You'll, you'll see a uh, quote from Philip Scribner, who's a retired professor of philosophy from American University. Yes. Uh, and he thinks it has an important role to play if we can get an audience for it.
0: A very important work that you've uh, completed in this Eternal Vig- Vigilance, the title, uh, talking about we the people and guarding against the predatory state. Uh, you have uh, outlined it beautifully. And, again, it's 300 and some pages, so it must have taken a while. Besides the six years, were there other challenges that you faced in getting this to, to the marketplace?
2: Well, anyone that uh, you know doesn't have a long uh, history in the marketplace has to find an audience for the first time, and that's not easy. Uh, I've been working with my publisher, Ex Libris, who's come up with a number of ways to get the word out, uh, in addition, I've got some close friends that are uh, involved in these issues uh, that are involved in local radio stations and things like that. Beautiful. And I'm hoping to get the word out through those avenues as well.
0: Very good. Thank you for sharing your story today. The title of the book, again, is Eternal Vigilance. My author, Ralph Bayer, spelled B-A-Y-R-E-R, Sir My listeners need to get a copy of this. How do they do so?
2: They can get it through Amazon, or they can get it through Ex Libris.
0: Very good. And if they do a search under your name, they will find this and other books that you've published. And is there anything else in the work for the near future?
2: Uh, No, right now my efforts are devoted to promoting this book.
0: Fabulous. Thank you, sir, for joining me today and sharing your story. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker.